Welcome to the Grow Bowl with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristram Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and I'm a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is Growing Bold and Parenting with a Disability. And our guest is Nat Barch. Nat is an award-winning pianist, a composer, and she works in classical jazz and children's genres and is on the autism spectrum. But her most important role is as mum to four-year-old Will. In this episode, we'll learn about Nat and her husband, Jeremy Hopkins. Nat was diagnosed with bipolar at a young age and Jeremy with ADHD. But it wasn't until after the birth of their son, Will, that they sought further diagnosis and they discovered they were both on the autism spectrum. Nat, welcome to Grow Bowl with Disability. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, uh, Nat. So today we're talking about parenting with a disability. So let's start back at the beginning. How did you and Jeremy meet? Ah, that's a really funny story. So the first time we met, um, Je- so Jeremy was an act- has been an actor since he was a child and he was acting a role in the Saddle Club TV show ah. and I was an extra in that same episode. Ah. Um, however, at the time um, we didn't really chat much because apparently actors don't really talk to extras very often. <laughs> and, and then about like five years later, um, I started studying jazz at the Victorian College of the Arts and Jeremy was studying drums in the year above me. And then I got to go up to him and be like, hi, you don't know me, but I was an extra in the saddle club when you were, when you were starring in it <laughs> and you snubbed me off. Thanks for that. And now we're married. <laughs> <laughs> You've never let him live it down. No, never. It was the best wedding speech ever. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mentioned in the intro that at a young age you were diagnosed with bipolar and Jeremy's ADHD. Yeah. How was that? you two dating someone with bipolar dating someone with ADHD how did it work uh, yeah that's a really good question so Jen was diagnosed with ADHD in late primary school and then I was actually diagnosed about a year after we started dating when I was in my mid-20s mm-hmm. um, so when we first knew each other sort of as friends studying at VCA um, I, Jeremy was playing drums in my um, jazz piano trio and he sort of told me eventually that um, he had ADHD because it was sort of explaining why there were some um, challenges for him, like getting to rehearsals on time or remembering charts and, you know, all sorts of things like that. And then for me, I was just kind of going through my teenage years and 20s, not really having any idea that I had autism or bipolar. And, um, yeah, it was so it was more like we'd been dating for a year and then I sort of hit my first sort of major depressive episode and then that sort of um, made us sort of realise something was going on. And so it was funny because I guess in a way I realise now, like I'm not actually sure how much bipolar is a role in my life and how much of it might have just been being autistic in the first place um, and having, you know, burnouts and meltdowns and you know, sensory overwhelm and stuff. But um, whether or not that it is a, a major thing for me, I think what's really interesting is we were obviously drawn to each other and I wonder whether it's because of our neurodiversity. Like even though we couldn't really put a name on it at that point, there was something about our way of looking at the world and the jokes we made and the special interests we had that sort of brought us together. Yeah, interesting. 
Mm. And in terms of those shared interests as well, you mentioned the trio, them playing the trio. Did you both work together much as musicians? Uh, a little bit um, for a couple of years and then I actually fired Jeremy because he uh, was hitting on me in <laughs> the trio. <laughs> and I was like, that's really unprofessional. And and he was also playing other gigs that were a bit more important than mine. Um, so I fired him and booked another drummer and then we started dating not long after that. So <laughs> I'm really giving him a bad rap on this podcast. Well, He's first actually a really nice and respectful enough. man. <laughs> when you were at the pony club and then he was giving you too much attention and you fired him. I know. It's um it's really hard to get the balance right, isn't it? But So how did that work for you guys? Obviously, well, Jeremy was going, you know, he's gigging at nights and you're at somewhere else. Like he might have to go on tour and stuff. How did that work yeah. for the relationship of both your career paths? That's Yeah, it's, I mean, both of us have done touring at different times. Um, but, you know, I think the most interesting phase of our lives was around about the time I got pregnant, uh, Jeremy got a job working for um, a major performing arts company, like a circus company as a musician in the band. And so from the point where I was pregnant onwards, we knew that Jeremy was going to be entering a job that would require long periods of time being away. Mm. And we never anticipated that that's what starting out parenting would be like for us. And the first few years was, yeah, really interesting because there'd be phases of time where Jeremy was around and sometimes more of a stay-at-home parent than other people. But then there'd be um, periods of time where he was away for a few months and I was single parenting and meanwhile developing my own um, lullaby album, which um, turned out to be the best record in terms of success. Um, so, you know, top tip, if you send your husband away for a while you might get more <laughs> work done <laughs> more work done maybe I don't know but um yeah so it was a really interesting time and you know one of the reasons why we started to wonder about the autism spectrum was just simply because the level of pressure that we were both under in that phase becoming a parent and working in a high pressure job like that it sort of brought out a whole bunch of um repetitive behaviours and routines and anxieties and stuff that we hadn't really noticed before. Mm -hmm. I mean, looking back now, over we've been together, I think, maybe 15 years. Looking back now, you go, oh, that explains that, like, that time when Jeremy really got into learning how to kick a football and would, like, kick it repetitively against a brick wall of a factory about five minutes' drive from my home and, <laughs> and you know, or explain why I would, like, obsessively knit um, after a really long day's work or, you know, there are all these little things looking back, you're like, oh, that makes sense. But um, really it was becoming parents that really um, brought it into the light because suddenly we had these other, this other demand in our life, like we had to be able to get up at six in the morning and, mm. you know, or feed the child through the night or get into the park and all these sorts of things um, create extra demands and, yeah, and then we went, wow, oh, this is quite hard for us. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of um, becoming parents, I mean, you married in 2016. Was the plan to have a family straight away? Was that was that always the, the, the thinking? Yeah. I, yeah, I in particular was um, keen to have kids fairly straight away, um, although it took us a while to for that to happen. Jem tends to, he, he describes it as his ADHD means he sort of lives in the now and isn't thinking too much about 
future plans. So I would say with both marriage and kids, it was something that sort of was driven by me and, and sort of prompting him to think about it. Um, and I guess we always imagined that we might have two kids, but then we realised after we had one and have these sort of growing music careers, that that's probably about our capacity mm. to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there was a bit of grief about that sort of because you have this idea of what you imagine your family to be like and then you kind of have to rethink it. But um, I'm pretty accepting now and so happy with, you know, the way life is. So, yeah, yeah it's been good. So being bipolar, how was pregnancy for you? How did you manage the anxiety and the mood swings and so forth? It was fascinating actually because I really imagined that the bipolar would be sort of, I guess, flaring up at, during pregnancy and then mm. after the birth. That's a really big risk time for any women with any mood disorder because there's the sleep deprivation and then like the endurance through labour and everything. Um, but actually for me it was like a really interestingly stable time. I don't know whether it was the hormonal rush or um, the change of lifestyle where you're sort of doing less high-pressure work and trying to just focus on the baby and, you know, um, being well. But I, I suspect also it's that there, there's a sense of routine that came from being a mum and, and, and also, you know, even just being pregnant and getting ready for the birth. And both of those things are something that I don't really um, find comes very often in the music industry because <laughs> so, every, every week, every week, as a musician, every week's different in terms of what concerts you might have on, what jobs you have to do, um, whether you're on tour or whether you're home. And so all of a sudden there was this predictability to the day, uh, particularly in that newborn phase where it's that sort of feed them, change their nappy, play with them for a bit, put them down for a nap, go do something else, and then repeat that cycle again, you know, mm. two hours later. And um, I found it just really stabilising and Everybody was pleasantly surprised, which is what makes me wonder about how much of this is um, bipolar and how much is maybe just autistic stuff. Like maybe it was sort of craving a little bit more routine and predictability in the day, which has helped kind of keep me um, feeling well within myself mm. um, and less out of sorts. I guess only time will tell, really. Yeah. Ask me again in five years and I'll, <laughs> I'll report back. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to some of those adjustments and things that you're noticing um, after the pregnancy, um, at what point did you decide to, to sort of go and see whether there was another possible alternative to bipolar? The first step was actually um, Jeremy and because of the way um, it had sort of gone through the – so I guess the best way to describe it is those first few years of Will's life, I was um, very well within myself and kind of living my best life. And um, But through that process for Jeremy, it was really, really high pressure in his job and then just not really coping with home life around it. Um, and so one of the things with being on the autism spectrum is you often have a special, special interests of some kind. And for Jeremy and I, both of our special interests are music, which is such a wonderful thing to share with each other in our relationship. But when you're working on a really intensive creative project full time, um, it can be so all consuming. And Jeremy was sort of working on 
um, music for this theatre production and he'd sort of work on his laptop until three in the morning and he wasn't able to stop and then he'd have to be at work the next morning at 9am mm. and it was just a completely unsustainable way of working and sleeping and living. And meanwhile, it was becoming increasingly difficult to parent Will and spend time with him because he was so exhausted. And so already the, the flags were sort of raised for me when I was observing that play out because in ADHD there's a concept called hyperfocus um, and so I always imagined that that's what that was. Mm. He was just hyperfocused on a task and losing track of time. But then as the sleep deprivation got worse and the demands of the job were piling on and there was a beautiful kid that was um, sort of asking for, you know, um, love and attention as well, Somehow the music was still the persistent um, priority and I realised that maybe that it's a little bit more of a deep-seated commitment to music than simply losing track of time on a project, that there's, there's a real, like, drive to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I started reading about autism and realised that that's kind of what special interests can be like, especially if you're given permission to do that because you're getting paid to do mm, it. Yes. <laughs> you know, so that's sort of, it's sort of like a workaholic-type thing. So I remember I said to Jem once um, after he'd come back from tour and it was, uh, you know, it had been, actually he was on tour. I remember I called him and said, have you ever wondered if maybe you might be on the spectrum? And he said, actually, yeah, I've been w- wondering that too. And it was actually so great because he was very happy to go and get assessed and was not, I guess with a lot of mental health stuff, there's often that, um, you know, I guess there's some people in the world that maybe don't, feel comfortable getting assessed and or getting diagnosed. But for Jeremy, that was really something he was open to. And so he came back to the diagnosis. And then I was reading one of his books about autism and read about a chapter about autism in women. And I went, hold on a second, that really sounds like me. And um, because I sort of have, I'm in need of a little bit less support than Jem. I never really thought about the fact that I had a day-to-day disability as well mm-hmm. and yeah it was and now looking back I'm going oh it just explains so much for me and you know music is my special interest too and I can um really dedicate every hour of every day to it if if I could and what's beautiful about being a parent is it creates those boundaries between my special interest and home life so I may, I have to stop composing at 5 p.m. and pick Will up from childcare and make dinner and, you know, get ready for bed, whereas before I was a parent, those boundaries weren't there and it was a little bit more like Gem's scenario where I could just dig deep. And get soldier <laughs> and, on. Um, uh, yes, soldier on and then burn out yeah. and get, you know, depressed or exhausted and, yeah. So it's really fascinating for us, the, the interplay between parenting and our special interests and stuff, Yeah. What other adjustments did you guys have to make? You just mentioned there sort of that you know, you've you structured at five o'clock and then go and pick up Will mm. and so forth. What other adjustments, especially for Jeremy, what did he do to help with it? Yeah. Big thing for Jeremy, I guess, and I have been the fact that we've ended up in a pandemic. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny that. Mm. But um, because we're both performing artists, predom- uh, I, I guess we both compose music and actually for me, probably at least half of my job is composing music, which is a lovely at-home solitary pursuit. Mm -hmm. But um, the performing aspect of both of our careers immediately ground to a halt. 
And it gave us a really peculiarly um, simple life for a while. Mm. And it gave us actually a chance to try and address some of the issues that we had both had relating to our music industry participation. And a couple of the things that have really helped both of us um, once we realised we were autistic are to do with coping with transitions and also managing our sensory needs. And those two things are very connected. But autistic people struggle to stop doing an activity and move on to the next one, particularly if the activity you're doing is your special interest, like composing music. Yeah, and, and paying the bills so as well. The, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're going, oh, well, it's, you know, it's my job, you know. Yep. But um, so that just that um, childcare pickup thing I described, for me, it, it's stopping me working on my special interest for 15 hours straight because I, 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 I'm in charge of will. But on the other hand, stopping the composing and doing those other domestic duties afterwards can cause me quite a lot of um, distress and I get real racing thoughts where I'm still thinking about the music I'm writing or the emails I've been sending. And meanwhile, trying to be really present with my son and cook dinner and, you know, get him ready for bed. And, yeah, so we've been working to sort of figure out activities and um, ways to modify our sensory experience of the world around us so that when we transition from one activity to the other, it's a little bit less abrasive. So I might be wearing um, a compression garment under my clothes when I have a really big day of work so that it's sort of like someone giving me a big hug through the day (laughs) and that really helps me feel quite calm. And I do the same thing if I've got a, a, like a high-pressure performance. So basically it's just shapewear. Yeah. What I love about reaching my mid-30s is that putting on shapewear is a pretty normal thing for a woman to do. <laughs> and when I when I put it on, I was like, why do I feel so calm? This is amazing. Oh, I like that idea. And now I know why. But there's, it's actually a, a thing in um, the autism world. So I might put on... Um, something like that. I might use noise cancelling headphones while I'm cooking dinner so I don't suddenly have all these other um, noises in my periphery while I'm trying to transition out of making music. And for Jeremy, he has found all these other things that he really likes, like um, doing paint by number of aeroplanes because he he's totally obsessed with planes. That's another one of his special interests. Mm-hmm. So, Things like we used to think about the idea that dinner time should be all sitting around the table having nice conversation and, mm. you know, being really focused on each other. But what we've actually realised is that that time of day, what works for us is if we are sitting at the table eating, but Jeremy might have some colouring out or, or painting and um, Will might be holding a little matchbox car and I might have some, you know, a fidget, like a fidget spinner or something near me. And so we all have something that kind of keeps our hands busy and mm. our minds calm and, and sort of able to enjoy spending time together more easily. So it's just all these tiny little adjustments really that, and then also getting support workers to help us with the more monumental challenges that we have day to day. So all of those things are just really changed the way we live our lives in a really beautiful way. It's great. So what would you say to other parents who are struggling with understanding certain behaviours? Other parents with autism, I guess, the thing about autism, there's that phrase, um, I don't know if you've heard it, but it, it goes, if you know a person with autism, you know a person with autism because everyone has such a vastly different um, yeah. kind of profile. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, and everybody has different ways of communicating 
and different ways of stimming and relaxing themselves and um, different levels of support they need day to day. And so it's really hard for me to guess, but I, I would imagine that those things I described, particularly sensory experiences, would be really hard for parents on the autism spectrum, particularly because kids can be so darn loud. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're having a screaming baby who won't sleep or a toddler having a tantrum or there's like crashing cars in the hallway or um, cartoons blaring, all those sorts of things um, could be um, challenging for an autistic person that is a, that's a little bit sensory avoidant to sound. Mm-hmm. Or maybe other parents, I would imagine, you know, some autistic people don't like being touched um, very often, you know, like getting a hug and stuff like that could be something that is um, a bit uncomfortable for them. And so maybe if you've got a kid that wants to climb all over you a lot, that might be a bit unpleasant mm. I'm, I'm just guessing though because I, I really would love to know more autistic parents and yeah. um, compare my experience to theirs but yeah it's um I think what's beautiful about the neurodivergent community is it, it it's really starting to focus on the strengths and abilities of autistic um, people and getting trying to teach everybody that it's just simply a different way of perceiving and being in the world um, and that a lot of autistic people have incredible strengths and abilities in some areas and then need a little bit of extra support in other areas. And mm. I would imagine for a lot of autistic parents, it could be very similar to us where um, there's a way that we relate to Will that's very intimate and beautiful. And I noticed this particularly with Jem that he's just got this incredible perception of where Will's at um, and what he needs at any point in the day. He's really good at reading, um, reading him, and mm-hmm. I would imagine a lot of autistic parents have the, those little things as well. Um, I guess one of the things that we often have to do is teach ourselves how to interpret the social communication of other people because that's not something that necessarily comes as naturally mm. um, to us as to neurotypical people. But I wonder whether part of that skill means that we're able to observe our children on a really kind of detailed level about what their social communication is doing and what they might need. So that could be one of the beautiful things about it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, yeah, he's getting a wonderful upbringing too. So Will's four now. You've had four years, obviously, of this, um, having him in your life. Is there anything you do differently or any big lessons that you learned? Yeah, oh, I won't do that again. (laughs) Um, there was, yeah, look, there was one time when Will and I decided we would go to Europe to rendezvous with Jeremy when he was on tour. Mm-hmm. And we thought it would be a brilliant idea to just live together in this tiny hotel room in the middle of winter. In and Munich. how old was Will at this stage? <laughs> he was like oh, 17 months old. Okay, yeah. And um, <laughs> sleeping terribly. And Jeremy was having a lot of these challenges of, um, you know, being too exhausted from work and having trouble getting to bed and, and then Will would be waking at five in the morning and it was just an absolute nightmare. <laughs> so I think the thing I've realised now, now that Gem and I both know we're autistic and um, also receiving NDIS support and able to afford support workers and stuff like that, um, is more that we're always making an assessment as we go through the week um, where there's some c- c- combination of activities that will be exhausting or overwhelming for either of us mm-hmm. and then kind of building um, support 
around that so that it doesn't have the same kind of impact it might have had a few years ago. So a few years ago, I might have done a really high-pressure concert and then the next day tried to just resume my usual music work and just keep on, you know, um, burning the candle at both ends. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I know that after a high-pressure concert like that, I, I just need to put Will in the car and we drive out to some nature somewhere and I do a, you know, bushwalk amongst the trees and mm. it's it, it satisfies my sensory needs and um, but also helps me to regulate after that. Mm-hmm. And then for Jem, it might be something like he's got a gig maybe playing at a wedding and it's out in country Victoria somewhere and we used to think that it was going to be cool to go to a birthday party before that and then he'd just jump in the car, you know, like yeah, yeah, a regular yeah. person would do, you know, just pop into that party and then go to work. But we've now realised that it's um, far better to maybe send apologies to the party, reschedule catching up with that person and then just focus on the work. So it sort of um, means that we're sort of moving through our week in a more supportive way. So I, I kind of wish we'd known that for the f- first 15 years um, <laughs> we were together because there were a lot of times where I was like, why why are we, why, why am I so anxious? Or why is Jim in bed? And it's, you know, 1 p.m. Or, <laughs> this doesn't make yeah. sense. Whereas um, now I realise, yeah, now it all makes sense basically. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, Nat, we like to wrap up each episode with the question, what does living a bold life mean to you? Ah. I think for both of us, we would say um, the privilege of being able to use our creative talents and special interests to um, share with the world and do that at a professional level is for both of us living our best lives. (laughs) And um, I feel like that's really actually connected to our neurodiversity. So for me, being bold is um, being proudly neurodivergent and then... um, getting ARIA nominations all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, listeners, you can find out more about Nat and Jeremy in a brand new book. It's called We've Got This, Stories by Disabled Parents, and it's published by Black Ink, that's I-N-C, and it's put together by the wonderful author Eliza Hull, who people might remember she took part at Grow Bold Disability back in season one. Now, the book is available in all good bookstores and all you can find. We'll have a link in today's episode show notes where you can go through and get the book. Nat, thank you so much for joining us today on Grow Bold with Disability, brought to you by Feral's Care. Thanks, Nash. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold. And for over 30 years, Ferros has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.